This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboys Talksplode, and I am Josh Flanagan. Talksplode is a show where we sit down and we chat with some of the greatest creators in comics today. Today, I am talking with Eric Canetti, who's currently working on End League from Dark Horse with writer Rick Remender, and most recently did Iron Man Enter the Mandarin with Joe Casey from Marvel Comics. Hey, this is Josh. We're here with Eric Canetti. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing well. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. Now, let me get this correct. You grew up in the Philippines? I did. Yeah, um, yeah. A good chunk of my uh, childhood in the Philippines. Didn't get here until I was about uh, fourth grade. How aware of, of you were like of American comics and things like that when you were growing up there? Um, you know what? It was just uh, at the peripheral. There was nothing really too huge for me. I mean, my first exposure to it was probably like, uh, I can't even remember which issue of Secret Wars that I got as a trade for my lunch money. But thereafter, I started seeing it uh, kind of filtering. It's not at, it doesn't have as big of a presence there as it probably does now. So yeah, it was a couple of comic books here and there, but nothing consistent. So did you start reading comics as a kid then? Yeah, but more uh, Filipino comics, you know, um, stuff that was being published locally. Yeah, nothing American. Oh. I think it's probably because it was probably something to do with the finances of it all, you know? Right. I don't. I can't recall what the cover price back then was, but for a kid like me, I probably couldn't afford it, so. Um, so, so was that, did you, like, fall in love with comics at that point? I mean, was that something that you wanted to do, or? 
No, 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 no. My my um, my mother was here trying to hash out a uh, a life for herself, so she had uh, left me with my aunt temporarily until she could actually afford to have me come to the United States with her. But uh, they were, I mean, with as many flags as they possibly could, they were trying to wave me off of doing any kind of illustration because they didn't think that that would be a viable future for a guy. So for a while they were just telling me to be a doctor telling me to, to get into the medical field of some sort and if when that didn't work they realized how much i love drawing they were telling me to get into the medical field but doing medical illustrations so yeah no comics was the farthest thing from my radar well, back really, then did not now was it now now you sort of started in animation rather than that did, so were you like what field were you drawn to initially i guess it, it was definitely comics. It was definitely comics. It was my uh, eighth grade, maybe, I think it was, ninth grade, and Jim Lee had just come onto the scene. He was doing, I can't recall, it had to have been Uncanny, and I just fell in love with it, and I thought, yeah, that's this is the way to go. So eighth grade, all throughout the beginning part of high school, late into high school, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I just couldn't hack it. Style-wise, there was a, uh, you know, You've, I think you've heard about this, where everybody was the only people that were getting hired. It sort of had to represent a house style, depending on which studio they were going for. Mm-hmm. So I didn't like any of that stuff, or either that, or I just couldn't draw that well. So uh, animation was a nice way for me to uh, uh, mimic somebody else's style, and it was approachable for me. So I broke into animation first, and comics later. It's really interesting because it seems like it would be harder to break into animation. I guess not at that time, though. No, no, actually, if you think about it, the comic book boom was full-blown in 93, was it 93, 94? Yeah, something like And that. yeah, everybody was trying to break in back then, and yeah, the competition was really heated because that's when everybody was making money hand over fist once you broke in, you know? Now, did, you, did you make your own comics before that, or, or were you just doing sample pages? Or? It was all just sample pages. Uh, I, I didn't have the right mindset back then to make my own comics you know i wasn't that creative all i wanted to draw was somebody else's property these days i wish i could go back and slap myself aside the head and say hey man just draw your own stuff until you actually get your big break but back then all i wanted to do was everybody else's property all right now now the now the first thing that you got noticed on was was eon flux is, is mm-hmm. that right i mean was that the first big thing that you'd worked on yeah i mean that was uh Coming home from a San Diego where I was showing my portfolio around, absolutely dejected. I didn't get any kind of uh, interest from anybody that I had shown my work for. And then, I think about two weeks, maybe I can't recall how, how soon, Peter uh, Chung, who created Aeon Flux, gave me a call. And uh, yeah, coming back from San, San Diego, I really thought I was going to have to go in and get a regular 9-to-5 kind of job. Peter gives me a call, and within uh, a couple of weeks, or was it a, even as long as a month, I was living up in San Francisco working on that show. Now, now, what did you what did you do for that show? Because you had no experience in in the world of animation. I guess you just been doing sample pages. No, no. I mean, I had ghosted for a guy for a little bit. So I was doing background designs for. Remember the old X Men cartoon that was based on Jim Lee stuff. I, I did. I ghosted on that stuff, doing background designs and several other shows that were coming down the pipeline. Um, so I had a little bit of it, uh, but as far as in house uh, being an actual animation studio, it was very. Uh, I was very green. Um, so yeah, when I got hired to do that, uh, when Peter brought me up north, I was a background designer. And then eventually, because of the nature of production, Peter would just kind of shift me around to different uh, departments that needed help. So it was at props, and then next thing you know, it was storyboarding and so on. So Did, It's funny because now when I think about Eon Flux, um, the movie notwithstanding, but like <laughs> it's almost a, a, a style. It was like the first American show of that kind, and now... You know, people use that as a as a reference, like, oh, it's like Eon Flux, like it, uh, you know, it's a style. Did you guys? I mean, did you know that when you were working on it? How do you how do you think about it now, like in the in retrospect? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, that was the stuff that was getting laughed at at San Diego because I was implementing that style using comic book characters, and that they were, people just weren't having that. You know, they couldn't stand somebody who was. I don't know, 10 heads, 12 heads high that was skinny as a rail and wearing Superman's outfit. That was just not accepted. So I was very aware and I really, really liked it. Unfortunately, it just wasn't applicable back then. Nowadays, I don't. I, I think people are a lot more open to have their characters drawn in that way just so it's that much more distinct than anything else that's out on the shelves, you know? It's like something happened in the past, I, get, I, don't, I don't know, not even 10 years, but at some point, like, you were able to have all these different styles, um, like were you were you were you paying attention when you when that sort of changed and you thought well this will I can get back into comics then I'm trying to no. think about the people like if it seems like like Mike Waringo came in and and all of a sudden we're like oh you can make it sort of cartoony instead of 
just the Jim Lee style or something like that? Sure. You know, I don't, I don't know when the comic public consciousness, I, I mean, I, I, I genuinely believe it has less to do with the people who are buying comic books than the people who are hiring these guys to draw their comic books, you know. I don't know when those the editors, I guess, and that would be the right people to be talking about right now. Um, I don't know when the editors kind of snapped out of, oh, let's just make it look like what's hot right now, and let's just put the person who's on, you know, let's put the person on the book who's good. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when it started to become less about a pre-established style and more about wow, this feels and looks really good. It's really applicable to the title and the kind of stories that we want to tell. And then from there, I guess the diversity just started to slowly seep in, you know, and now it's it's rampant. I'm glad to see so many different styles out there. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the coolest things about right now because one book doesn't look anything like the next, you know. Sure. And they can both sell. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As long as it fits for the story, as long as it helps, uh, you know, it contributes to the overall story that's being told. And yeah, man. Style is, is, is I, I mean, these days, style is such a secondary thing. You know, I focus more on how well that story is being told rather than how ultimately pretty something is, you know. Now, now you worked in a, in a lot of in, uh, animation for a while. Did you, was there a point where you were like, well, I'll be done with comics? Or were you sort of coming in and going? Or You know, I, I, my first love is comics. So I don't know, even if I tried, I mean, even if I actually said it out loud that I'm done with comics, I'll never go back and it's it's been terrible to me and blah, blah, blah. I don't think any of that was true. I love drawing comic books. I love panel-to-panel story, uh, storytelling. So um, there was no point in time when I said, I'm done with comics. It's just that animation lent itself to be a little bit more regular. Yeah. Um, a lot more approachable because I have a whole lot of friends, uh, a lot more approachable by way of employment because I have a whole lot of friends who are directors and producers for shows. So whenever they need help, they, they're kind enough to give me a call. So that, that makes it a whole lot easier. And then when a project comes up, like, um, let's use Iron Man, for example, right. right? When Iron Man came across my radar, I had to jump on that because it was such a great opportunity. I hadn't worked with Joe in forever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, Animation is there. It, it, it's challenging, uh, but the reason why I go back to it is, is out of convenience, you know. And that's not talking down to it. It's just a whole lot easier for me to approach being in California, you know. Yeah, sure. It, well, and and the way that that Rick uh, Remender put it when we talked to him was that for 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 the N League, you 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 quit what you were doing there, and you're like you're devoting yourself to to doing comics for for a time now. Yeah, yeah, only because the story really deserves it, and I, I wanted to see if I could actually do it, but do comic books full-time, right. and um, yeah, Rick is is a great storyteller, and the stuff that he's trying to get across with N-League deserves 100% attention. Um, they are also trying to, uh, I mean, they have shifted it to a monthly schedule, so there was just no way, there was no getting around mm. Do, committing myself to that 100% and then making animation my secondary form of income. So, and I'm having a blast doing it. I'm having a blast doing it. And yeah, um, the difference between now and then, then being I couldn't do a monthly book because of the fact that I was just so detail-oriented. These days, it's just a matter of getting the point across, whatever Rick has on script. If I get that across on the panel, then I've done my job. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so you went from a guy who couldn't do a monthly book to, you? did you shift your style so that you could, I guess? Yeah, it's a, it's a matter of perspective. It's all about... I don't know how to, the best way that I can explain it is I get I got so caught up about all the little nooks and crannies mm-hmm. uh, of a panel or or a set of panels or a set of pages that I forgot the the point of it all which is you know I'm just trying to move the story along mm-hmm. and I'm giving I'm giving you the most basic images that I can in order to uh, help perpetuate that you know Rick says something in text and in dialogue I'm supposed to help that along. And if I can put a little bit of something in there, that'll help the story that much more. Then yeah, everything else I've kind of pared down to. Oh, that's just not important. That's just that's just crap. That's just BS. <laughs> Nobody's paying attention to that little corner. You know, back right. then I used to get obsessed about that little corner. The, the maturity of an artist is that. Do you think that came from from your experience in working in animation or, or or comics or just just time? Yeah, it's animation. Animation, most specifically storyboards. Uh, I had a great director named Sam Liu. Uh, who I worked with on the Batman, uh, the new Batman uh, show. Mm-hmm. And he was the guy that was just basically telling me, you know, focus on what needs to be told as clearly and as concisely as possible because you only have X amount of minutes to do it. There's no uh, there's no room for fluff, you know. Mm-hmm. 
And in, in comic books, it's that much more succinct because of the fact you only have 22 pages to get your point across. Uh, you don't have 17 minutes of moving pictures. You have 22 pages of still images, and you're supposed to communicate whatever idea that Rick or Joe or the writer has come up with in as precise as possible. So, And then after that, um, that skill got, after the Batman uh, training, that skill got even more honed when I moved on to Justice League uh, Unlimited, and Bruce Tim was there, and Bruce uh, Bruce's filtering system was so very precise about how to tell a story concisely, precisely. Mm-hmm. And I think now I carry that over to my panel-to-panel work, and you can and you can see it. You know, you can see some of the the Bruce Timish influences in there. So, well, let me let's see. I'll, I'll go. I'll ask you about some of the animation stuff because it's interesting. Now, you did storyboard work and character design. I did, yeah. Depending on which show it is, like for instance, um, I started off doing on the design end of everything, right? Um, and then I left to go do comics for Wildstorm for a little bit. And then when I came, tried to come back into animation, all those design positions were filled because those are very coveted positions. You know, it's um, yeah. Anyway, so th- those are those are coveted positions, and the only thing that was available to me was storyboarding. I'd never done storyboarding before, but luckily I was. Uh, very fortunate enough to know one of the guys who was running the show, a fellow by the name of uh, Jay Oliva, who taught me how to story. Uh, yeah, taught me how to the little ins and outs, the little nooks and crannies, the, the smart way of storyboarding. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I got back into animation and started doing more storyboarding. So you, and then from there, it just yeah, it just rolled into one job to the next. And and you did stuff like you did. You said Justice League Unlimited, the Batman, Legion of Superheroes. I mean, that seems like it, it's got to be so close to just doing actual comics and you're getting to work on those characters. I mean, it was the, the whole time you're thinking, man, I want to be doing these comics. Or well, actually, you know, it's one of those things where um, when I was doing those superhero related shows, mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, I had something that was telling me I can't do comics something had blocked me out from doing that because I had left comics in order to come back into animation because he had put me in such a bad, terrible, terrible, messed up financial spot (laughs) that I said, I just can't do this. This is not made for me. This is made for young kids who are still living with their parents, you know what I mean? (laughs) Who who don't have the financial responsibilities that I have, blah, 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 blah. So I kind of blocked it out in my mind that I couldn't do it. And then just something that just clicked, and I think it's all of these little 90-minute things that I was doing, these 90-minute exercises that I was doing on my blog, um, that really keyed me into, wait a second, if I can do these in 90 minutes, how many steps away am I from actually doing a finished page? And that is what planted the seed in my mind to try to make a, a comeback, into, uh, comeback from animation into comics again. And then luckily Joe Casey rolled around with the Iron Man project and said, let's do this. Well, can you explain what the 90-minute exercises are? Because I, I put it on in your blog and I think I saw them, but... Oh, yeah, sure. Um, um, I got to a point in animation where, you know, all I was trying to do was uh, get the next paycheck. You know what I mean? It started to become less about the property that I was working on, which is in the beginning was super fun and exciting and I was learning. And, and it's just started to become about, okay, what new show am I going to be on because I got bills to pay the next month, you know? And once you go into work with that kind of mentality, it is the last thing that you want to do is work on that gig. So uh, in the morning when I get into work, all I would do for the first hour and a half until lunch rolled around was draw anything and everything that came to my mind. Most of the time, it was dictated by whatever movie that I put on into my uh, uh, portable DVD player. Mm-hmm. So that's about 90 minutes long, you know, a movie length, 90 minutes long. And I gave myself that much time to come up with an image, something that had a, a small little visual narrative going to it. And at the end of the 90 minutes, I put down my pen and say, okay, what did I come up with? Sometimes it's crap. Most of the time, it was crap. But then once in a while, I get something that was pretty cool, and that's the stuff that ended up in my blog the first few months that I started posting. Mm-hmm. These days are a little bit more complicated, and it's only because I've learned, again, even more so, to pare down the stuff that's important and what's not, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's hardly ever detail-oriented anymore, although I still get caught up in that sometimes. It's funny. It sounds like there's that, the writer's ex- exercise about doing like morning pages where you know every day hell or high water you write three pages it doesn't matter what oh is that write. right oh yeah yeah there's a there's a whole school of writing that says you know it, whether it's morning or at night or whatever mm-hmm. you know, just get three pages of out it doesn't matter what it's about or what it is and then you know supposedly after you pass a million words you know then you'll have gotten all the bad words out of your system and then be good at it but it, yeah you know i heard i heard something like that yeah that makes sense it's that makes sense artistic equivalent of the same thing yep, um absolutely. so so uh joe came to you with with uh, Iron Man sort out of the sort of out of the blue, I guess. Did you? Had yeah, you worked well, with I, him at Wildstorm. Is that is that how that worked? Yeah, I worked with Joe on um, 
I worked with Joe on Mr. Majestic, I think it was, after right. Ed McGinnis left. I can't recall, you have to forgive me, but Mr. Majestic, but definitely Lady Tron. Joe and I had uh, this one this one shot out of uh, Wildstorm. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I did such a poor job of coming in on time on Lady Tron. I really thought I burned any and all bridges with Joe because I put him in such a bad spot, you know. I was so late on that book, and it was just so... Uh, I just was not very smart about my time. It got to the point where I think somebody had to have somebody come and help me out in the last few pages. And I thought, that's it. I'm never going to hear from Joe Casey again. And as a matter of fact, I'm never going to hear from uh, a paying cotton book company again. So, and that was that. But, you know, it was surprising. Joe came back and said, hey, listen, whatever happened between us before, that's done. Let's go do Iron Man. Do you want to do this Iron Man thing with me? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And from there, that was the fuel to my personal fire to go, okay, well, I'm getting a second chance with this guy. I better knock his book out of the park. That's really cool. And it's, what's interesting is, you know, that movie that or that came out at the same time, you know, roughly as the movie. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you don't have to say this, but I can say I think a lot of the other Iron Man books that were around at the time, you know, like the main Iron Man book, it wasn't terribly exciting. Whereas when when Enter the Mandarin was coming out, I'm like, this is this is the best Iron Man book coming out at the time. Oh, and man. That I felt smart. like you were putting your all into it. I mean, was was like the shadow of the movie there while you guys were working on it or? You know, and I've told this a couple of times to, to people who have asked me about it, and I, I had no idea that the Iron Man movie was on its way. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely no idea. And people don't want to believe me because it had got such a huge media push beforehand, but I never really, that never really came across my radar. Mm -hmm. Joe thought of it, though, because Joe is a tactician that yes. way. He knew something was get, was coming around the corner, and he told, I mean, he told me this afterwards, like, of course, of course I knew. Uh, it was, it, I planned it all planned out, you know, he was, he was, you know, kind of manipulating things so that things worked out. So we dovetail into the popularity and the, and the media for that movie. But for me, I, I didn't get a hint of it until that San Diego Comic-Con where they announced, or actually when, when they had the panel for it, you know, and at that point, my, my mentality was, oh shit, you know, now what, <laughs> you know, because, you know, my, my editor, Stephen Wacker, brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, uh, extremely patient uh, and, and just stood out of my way just stayed out of my way the entire time And um, but when they announced the movie that it was going to be out by a certain time suddenly there was a match lit you know what I mean the, mm -hmm. fu I mean, me, the fuse was lit and yeah that this book needed to come out in trade paperback form by the time that movie hit the hit the movie screen so suddenly it stopped becoming about Oh yeah, Eric, take your time and just make sure those pages look pretty. And then to the point where he's like, "Hurry the fuck up! We need this damn book," you know. Um, but yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea that the book, was, uh, the movie, was coming out. But thank you for the compliment about it being. It was a, it was a really good book, and and I think part of the thing that that actually bugs me is that I don't think enough people noticed that book because it wasn't sort of the main title. But sure. I feel like you've gotten a lot of attention because of it, maybe in the industry rather than the fan base. I guess. Sure. I mean, yeah, I'm hoping. Would I'm you? Hoping that I did. Does, it, does that? Did that feel like a like? I mean, I don't want to put it this way, but it feel like a comeback of sorts. I mean, because I I feel like you did a really good job on that. And now you're doing this other stuff, and you've got some buzz behind you. I guess. Well, by definition, I guess it could be considered a comeback. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'll take that. You know, yeah, I, I'll I'll take that. It's a good. Um, it's a good thing to put it in the face of people and say, what have you done since you came back from animation? Iron Man's a great book. Mm -hmm. Iron Man's a great book, but I couldn't have done that without Joe. Joe's, uh, Joe put the words in front of me and I just drew it. So Now, do you, yeah. look, at, do you look at that work and you see like a, a, a big leap from the work that you've done before, which you, you, know, which you said was, was somewhat lacking in some of the things that it had to be? Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. Just the narrative these days i was i was too in love with tricks back in the day i, I was just too in love with like oh how cool would it be if i broke this panel or how cool would it be if i suddenly have this guy jumping from one side of the world and one side of the scene to the other side and these kooky camera angles it was less about just, let's just have the reader understand what i'm trying to say you know mm -hmm. yeah well you were not the only artist uh, to come about in the 90s who who had to shake those out of his system i don't think <laughs> There you go. Well, I mean, it's it's easy enough to say I was just as guilty as everybody else. But looking back now, it's almost like, oh, that's too bad, you know, because there's a lot of great titles that I'd worked on, in my opinion. There were a lot of great properties that I managed to be able to get on. And I did it such a great disservice by not paying attention to how to tell a story rather than all the flashy tricks, you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah. how, how did uh, End League come up then? Because, you know, it's, it's not it's not a huge book, but but for, for Dark Horse, it was it was kind of a big deal. Oh, been, sure. Had you been reading it before? Had you been aware of it? No, no, actually, um, and, I, and it's embarrassing to say this, but I keep myself uh, out of the comic book loop uh, 
so when Rick Remender emailed me, I had to literally ask what you know who he was and what that book was <laughs> you know so and he he was very patient he, he he laughed it off and he showed me a sample of the stuff that Matt Broom had done and I was you know it, I looked at the book and I thought to myself well I really can't do this better than what Matt Broom is doing mm-hmm. um and for me to step in here and say well you know what uh, it, had, it was such a huge stylistic visual departure from the stuff that I was doing it would have just been alienating to the fans that Rick had already, which would do the title, the, the series, a great disservice. You know, I don't want to lose. I don't want anybody to lose their readership because I came on board. So I aired those uh, concerns with Rick, and I told him, listen, man, you're going to lose a whole lot of people because I don't draw like Matt Broom. I, some of this stuff, design-wise, I, I, I would change. And, you know, um, and Rick was completely open to that. God but, bless him. He was like, let's take the risk. Let's let's push it in a direction where you're comfortable with it and I can tell the kind of stories uh, based on the artwork that you're producing. And yeah, it's it's been it's been an enjoyable experience, a, a good fulfilling experience. Well, I guess that that's sort of my question when you when you my next question was when you approach it, I mean, how much of it did you say like I can't work in this style, I can't do this thing, you know, how much of it did you did you change to do it your way? I mean, I suppose you uh, redesign anything or just the feel. Well, well yeah. I mean, there's there's a couple of things, and, and it's not a strike against Matt Matt Broom at all. I mean, the stuff that Matt's designing is great for Matt, you know. But when I approach things, I guess it's uh, it's the animation bit inside of me where I need to be able to tell a story um, using the characters that read um, immediately, you know. And what I mean by that is when you look at Batman, mm-hmm. you know it's Batman right away. Right away, uh, silhouette-wise, he's such a strong, dominant design that you can read him if he was small on the panel or if he was kicking you right in the face in a huge splash panel, you know? And uh, For I mean, years. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He, he's been that relevant. And I think that was my biggest design concern when it came to the End League, which is that reapproaching some of those characters and have them stand out as uh, a good, iconic silhouetted image you know if you can tell who that who character a is from character b and from character b to character c uh then i've done my job you know it makes my job a whole lot easier to convince you that person in the far background is character b you know so that was my thing i threw that out to rick i said rick do you mind if i design redesign some of these guys uh rick asked me please don't get too crazy with them and i I voiced my concern the stuff that i just told you right now Mm -hmm. and rick is totally on board because because rick comes from an animation background he knew exactly what i was talking about so it made it that much easier that's cool was there is there is there a favorite sequence? because i i I loved the the first sequence from issue i think it was five the first one you did Mm -hmm. the full thing the the is it the red wolf i want to say red skull but i know that's not what it is um, yeah, yeah. The whole Nazi thing. That was fantastic. Thanks, man. I mean, that, Thank that, you was, a, that was a ton of fun. And, and like, I, was, I re- was reading this and kind of thinking, I really wish this was Red Skull because <laughs> you know, it's that good. But it's you know, yeah, yeah, it's weird because I had discussed that with Rick just, just really super quick. And, this, and the kind of stuff that Rick wants to do is the kind of stuff they'd never let him do. Sure. You know what I mean? Uh, I think... If there's if there's any truth to this, I can understand why. But I think the reason why Rick would do this book is because it's the, everything that he's wanted to do with those characters, but not necessarily. Uh, and but he never would get the green light to do, mm-hmm. you know. And, and sure, yeah, it does harken to Red Skull, but uh, um, you know they'd never let us do half of that stuff. You know, that's just so it, that would just throw everything that they, whatever uh, history that they have for Red Skull thus far. Uh, that would just throw everything out the window and have him be actually how I remember Red Skull to be, you know? So, yeah. And uh, how long are you going to be on that book? Um, I'm projected to be on it for, what is what issue am I on now? Six for eight? One, I think. Okay. Yeah, uh, to, until eight. And I think they are currently trying to build up for nine through 12. And I think I might be on that as well, but I can't be 100% sure. Sure. Now is I mean are are things a little different now? Do you have other other stuff that I, I mean you don't have any big announcements or anything you're making that's fine. But I mean, are you is there going to be other stuff that you're going to be working on in comics or comics wise? N- uh, nothing that I can talk about. There's right. always thing. There's always something in the works, but nothing nothing ultra crazy. You know, it's and if by way of actual announcements are concerned, I let the publishers do that oh, sure, before no. I do it before I do it anywhere else. And, and it's only because I don't know. 
I have absolutely no idea as far as like comic book tactics, you know, as far as oh, yeah. publishing tactics are concerned. I have no idea. Let them let them handle that. I'll just draw the comic book. Does it does it seem different than sort of the the first go around you had, you know, in the industry specifically? I mean, you know, the only the only difference is my level of uh, my level of ignorance. <laughs> Back then, I I used to pay so much attention to everything. It was mm-hmm. I don't know how many books a month it was. It must have been at least forty books a month, and paying attention to, to to every title that's out there. You know, what I didn't buy, my friends would buy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great. It kept me in the loop, but it really consumed me as far as like, I don't know, I, I, I don't even know in what it consumed my time first and foremost. And it kind of it, it uh, I was too involved in it rather than just worrying about my end of it. You know what I mean? The, the, I was too involved in the hype of the comic books rather than worry, worrying about the actual production of the comic book. Yeah. Uh, and I attribute that to youth. You know, you're in the comic book industry, you're working with so many cool people and Hype is just a natural thing that get that a person can has a tendency to get caught up on. And nowadays, I, I just draw the book, you know. And at the end of the month, I see it published, and that's great, you know. So, do you not read any books now? Let me think. the The last book that I read, which I'm having a ton of fun reading, is this book by, uh, is the Iron Man book by Mad Fraction. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, Invincible Iron Man. Okay. Yeah, that, that looks great. Yeah, that looks great. The story that he's trying to tell in that is amazing. I'm so happy to look through that book, and it and it feels good at the end of the 22 page. Although I have a, I have an issue, and I'm sure you've had these conversations with with people. I have an issue with with single issues now. You know, I I read it at the end of well, it's 32 pages, but technically it's 22 pages worth of story. Um, you know, I read these issues and I think, what the hell, man? <laughs> you know, give give me the entire movie. Don't have me come back every month and show me 20 minutes of a movie at a time. Do you feel boxed in by that format now? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, Rick's stuff, I'll use Rick's stuff as an example because I've had, I have all eight scripts sitting in, you know, I've had it on my email box for a while and I've gone over them. It just does such a, it's like a weird stutter step. You know what mm-hmm. I'm getting at? It's such a weird kind of, thing where every x amount of pages there's an intermission you you as an audience we've been i guess uh trained to get used to that every month there's going to be a new story but it's it really takes me out of it i have to recall exactly what happened the month before and and i'm that's not not a stretch by any way by any means as far as my ability to actually do it but there's this one great story that Rick is trying to tell, and it just, in my opinion, it does it such a great disservice by breaking it up into into four issues. It's funny because I think that there's been a, a split, sort of creatively, where there are still some guys, um, but they're getting to be more rare who do really good single issues for whatever reason. The book you, it'll come out once a month, and you read it, and it's fine. But there's mm-hmm. other things that are happening that that just like for whatever reason they're just the storytelling is getting too complex or or there's just too much other stuff going on in our lives, you know, to follow that kind of thing. And, and it's, 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 Enley's actually one of those books where there was so much going on. There's so many characters and so many things that I can definitely see that with that book. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think just the way the books are formatted, I, I, I don't know. I, I have older issues back when I used to be an avid collector of comic books where the single issue was a good meal, you know, they, right. there was a beginning, middle and end. And at the end of 22 pages, Green Lantern somehow saved the day. Right. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, because of the fact that there are these over the, there's these extended storylines, you you'd think to yourself the best thing to do is, is to release all of these storylines at the same time. And in comic books as a as a format, we we have this stigma where it must be a monthly. And I constantly have to ask myself, why is that? Why does it have to be a monthly? You know, um, are who are we? Who are we feeding into? What are we feeding into that these comic books have to be a a monthly title? I mean, let's use the the then the book that um, Fraction is writing. I mean, I would love to read that in one sitting. I would love to read that in one sitting because there's nothing that he's leaving uh, at the end of every page that makes me go, oh, I wonder. You know, the the big cliffhanger ending. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. I, I, he doesn't mean to do that. But I feel that a lot of the, not just him, I'm talking about comic books in general, like the, the few that I picked up. It's the marketplace. Has, yeah. yeah, exactly. They almost, have, they almost feel like they have to have that cliffhanger ending at the end of every issue. You know what that's like in the, in the overall uh, storytelling scheme of things? That's like 
one giant gasp every time 10 minutes rolls around in a movie let's say although it's not a movie which that, that makes it somewhat unfair but it's a it's a gasp every 10 10 minutes what is that that doesn't make any sense to me well i mean the, the, there is a difference now that as a, you know now as opposed to 10 or even 5 years ago you you know trade the trade paperback market didn't exist at all sure, in the same way right. so so that you know while you don't have to get that Matt Fraction book right when it comes out, that's going to be a trade. You know, you'd spend right. six months in between issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sounds to me like you have an original graphic novel in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's one There's one in the works and in the making. It's just, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's an extremely skewed opinion on my part, and I feel bad actually even airing it, but I figure why the hell, you know, why the hell not? No, it makes sense, and I think that it's something that, I think in comics... Comics can can serve both masters in a way, mm-hmm. and you know what's unfortunate is with the monthly comics. You know the the way that the way that most of their fan base works, the mo- you know in the in the market and comic shops is that they have to have those monthly sales to justify the the later one because you know people are more likely to try three bucks on a book than eighteen bucks on a book, I guess. Well, let me ask, are you are you a monthly guy? Do you like monthly books? Uh, out of necessity. Uh, I okay. do a podcast. We talk about the books of the week every week. I think that sure. if it wasn't for that, um, I have let them pile up and read them all at once. I have lots of <laughs> trades. But, I, I mean, I love the fact that I have trades now. Sure, sure. Oh, by the way, that's a great website that you guys have, man. I just got through before you and I got on the phone now earlier this morning. I just went through it again. I thought, what a great service you guys are providing. Thank you. You know, if if we ha- if I had this kind of access back in the day, I would be a little bit more discerning about the books that I paid off. I mean, yeah, sure, uh, what is it, a buck twenty-five back in the day when I was a hardcore collector is not a ton, but to a kid who wasn't making any kind of money, a buck twenty-five is huge, and I wish there were a couple of books that I didn't buy. Based on your website, just based on that, the, the pull list feature that you guys have, that, that's amazing. That's great. That's that's my favorite part. I use that. <laughs> Like yeah, I would be I would be all over that as a kid. Again, if I was still an avid collector, I would be all over that. What a great website! You guys did a, do a bang up job week in week out. Thanks, man. I, I, see, now I'm off. No one ever talks to us. We. <laughs> 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 um. So, are there any uh, books? I guess going forward, the characters or things you'd really love to get your hands on in the future. Like, is, is, do you have a, a burning Captain America story or or something like that, or do you feel like doing your own thing or? Um, as far as the, the mainstream stuff is concerned, no, it's really less about that and more about the the individuals working on it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I, I didn't know Rick before I got on the End League, but after uh, working with him, if he ever had a Captain America in him, uh, like a Captain America story that he wanted to tell, I'd be all over that. Yeah, I would be all over that. If Joe ever had whatever Joe was on his, uh, his whatever's on Joe's radar. And he thinks that I'm the right guy for the project. Yeah, stop the world. I'll draw it for Joe. Mm-hmm. It's it really has a lot to do with the people that I work with because, for me, it it starts to become about hype. Like you said, and uh, league has good readership, has great readership. Actually, the people who read it are extremely loyal to it. They pay attention. They they've stuck around for as long as the issues have been coming out as consistently or as inconsistently as they have been. But they've stuck around. That's a great fan base, you know. But, um. I don't know if it's really 100% high on the radar. It's not secret. I don't know what it's called now. What is it called? Uh, the secret, new secret the, invasion and or yeah, it's, crisis. There you go. Yeah. It's not that those huge sweeping overly hyped books. I think it, it would be great. To, you know, it'd be great um, coverage wise, media coverage wise, hype wise. That if I was um, involved in some of those, because it, it would it would get me so much coverage, mm-hmm. right? But if at the end of the day, I'm not really happy with the project, what's the point of that? You know, it will be so evident in the pages that you see because you will have Iron Man as a reference. You will have End League as a reference. You'll look at it and go, God, he was in love when he was doing these pages, when he was doing this book. And yet here he is on a very um, high, pub- highly publicized title, highly publicized series. And there's nothing here. He's just, he's just not in love. And I guess at the point, it sounds so hokey, but I got to be in love with the project that I'm working on. I love the end league. I love working with the Rick and Joe. I love the iron man when I was working on that. Yeah. So can you, can, I mean, can you see that when you're looking at the pages after the fact, or is it when you're, when you're doing it? Um, it'll get juicy while I'm doing it. And that mm-hmm. sounds disgusting. But it does. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, makes it sense does. that you work with Rick. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I'm doing something, especially um, there's a scene that Rick was talking to me about. Um, 
and I and I gave him a call back and I said, you know what? I think it would be stronger if we made these changes. And we were laughing our asses off. And typically, I don't get that involved if if I don't like something. If I'm just kind of going going with the motions of it. But when I feel compelled to call Rick and say, you know how much cooler it would be if we change these scenes to have this much, you know, fucked up imagery involved, and he in turn vibes off of that. That mm-hmm. that's how I know I'm really involved in the book. Yeah. So yeah, I can look back. I can look back on Iron Man and, and and recall like, oh yeah, I I knew look I was looking forward to this one specific panel. You know what I mean? That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So so that's cool because so you want to work on good books rather than big books. Yeah, you'll yeah, ne- and if, you'll never make it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I've just set myself up for failure there. You know, I really hope one day I get to work on a good big book. How mm-hmm. about that? That's the safest answer that I can say because I don't know what good big books are going to come across my radar. That's also kind of, you know, it's kind of well, asshole you know, thing. A, a book becomes, a thing book becomes big when you make it good, I guess. I'm that's, hoping. That's sort of the thought. Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, well, um, that's about all, about all I got for you. And you don't yeah, have anything you, what, new coming up. Well, what are you, what are you, what are you paying attention to nowadays? What's, what's out there that's really, really good? Oh, good lord, man! <laughs> On the spot. Well, give me, give me your, give me your top. I don't know. Top three. Top three is easy, top right? Three. I think that some of the best work being done, um, the things that really excite me right now, uh, have been. Um, I think Kirkman on Invincible, uh, as far as doing uh, a straight up superhero book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's on fifty four now. Uh, with Ryan Otley, and I think Ryan Otley is is going to be a, a, like if he ever decides to leave Invincible, which he may never, it could sure. be gigantic. It could be huge, sure. and it's just everything that was fun about reading Spider Man in the '60s, uh, but done modern now. Just all oh, is that right? drama and comedy, and just just a great superhero book. That's that's all it is. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And and there's there's actually not enough of those. They're not a lot of fun. I think one of the books that's totally excited me in the past year is uh, Proof from Image. Okay. Totally okay. different style. You got a book where um, it's it's like the X Files, but if Mulder wasn't was was a Bigfoot. Now, okay. <laughs> now, now, when I hear that, I hear the high concept pitch. I don't like it. Like I'm like ah, whatever. But mm-hmm. to read it, it's so well planned out and executed, and the the art um, by what's his name, Riley Riley Rosmo. It's sort of this sketchy, sort of not messy, but it kind of looks that way. It's just this tingling. You know, excited with life. That's that's been a book that I've been really happy to find this year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and just in the super mainstream sort of things, I think that uh, Jeff Johns, uh, his work on almost everything he's doing at DC right now is is like showing us the best of what you can do with with mainstream superhero comics. Oh, is that just right? Stick like the Green 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 Lantern. I'm reading a Superman book for now for the first time ever because him because and James, Jeff Johns. Okay, Jeff 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 Johns on action. Um, James Robinson on Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, those books haven't been good in decades. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and they're just they're just good now. They're 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 way fun. So those are those are the kinds of things that I'm digging. There's lots. I mean, it's fun. Right on. <laughs> I mean, I'm taking. I don't hope I'm not taking up your time, man. I no. hope you're not. Let me let me ask you. In as far as um, Invincible is concerned, what is that book doing? What chord is that book hitting with you? That let's say a fair percentage, seventy-five, eighty percent of the books out there are, are just missing out on. Why does that book hit you so well? Uh, that you know, I guess when you uh, you guys make a point to pick up a lot of books every week, I'm guessing, and yeah. some of them you're just kind of like, eh, not really for me, or gosh, that's such a misstep, or that's just a miscue by way of that book. What is Invincible doing? Um, well, one thing you know the the. the for me, it, you were actually talking about this with your work. There is some books that have the love on the page. And, yeah. and like, you can, for whatever reason, and you, I didn't mention Fear Agent, which, by the way, is literally easily one of my favorite books, but that's Rick's. We were already talking about him, and he's got lots of love <laughs> from us. I mean, I absolutely. And that actually would be almost the same thing as Invincible for me. Mm-hmm. Those guys love doing the book. You can tell. I don't know, it's intangible. Um, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. as far as superhero books goes, when you look at Invincible, it doesn't have anything holding it down. Hmm. You know I mean, like, it's not like, like when you do a book in Marvel or in DC, with the exception of, say, the kinds of books that, that you and Joe did, that, that, that Iron Man, which isn't really tied down to a specific continuity because it's not necessarily current, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's so many things that can pull on in either direction that make it have to exist in, in that world, and that kind of drags it down. Whereas in Invincible... He's got his own world. He can do whatever he wants. Mm, so he's mm. got that enthusiasm, and that excitement for for making it, and just 
you know, with, with Invincible and, and, and with, with Fear Agent, like, the goal of the writer right there is to make you really like the main character and then stick it to them real bad. Sure. Over sure. and over again. So it's kind of heart wrenching and just like they make you laugh a little bit and then and then they drag you back down and it's you know that 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 kind of thing works really well for me. But what do you call it? You you mentioned Superman with uh with Jeff Johns, James Robinson writing, right? Now what are those guys getting away with that's making you like it again? You know, because if if what you said is true, then those guys are are, are handcuffed because they are working on a franchise book. You know, they are working on a big label book. Yeah. Well, there are certain people who have a, a preternatural talent mm-hmm. um, to work within those confines and do it really, really well. Jeff Johns is, I mean, like, it, like it's his talent in life to be able to dance between those raindrops oh, okay. and take okay. things that did not make sense before or, mm-hmm. or just distill them down to their essence. And, all of it, and he retells the story of Green, the origin of Green Lantern mm-hmm. and have it not feel old and have it not feel shoehorned. And I, I don't know what that is. And then, you know... Him and James Robinson, because in a way he's sort of a protege of James Robinson. Sure. Okay. Uh, okay. And those two guys have this weird reverence for history. Um, in comics. but they don't make you feel old. You say they don't. No, they don't make you feel old, and they don't make you feel like you had to have known all of that beforehand. Okay. Um, there's certain okay. comics that 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 they drop you hints and they wink at you and they say this refers to a story that was done in Tales of Asgard in 1967, and nobody sure. has any right to know that stuff. Like if you <laughs> right, right. you've spent too much time on it. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas with that stuff, you know, like it just it all feels like it's part of a whole, and so it's reverent of the past, but but aware that there's people who don't know that stuff. Um, which was the you know the best thing that that James Robinson did was Starman, which which had a lot of that in it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, Greer, J- you know yeah. Starman made me really like the Golden Age characters that I had never ever cared about or would have wanted to read about. Mm-hmm. And I don't mm-hmm. know what it is that he's able to do that. It's the same thing that Jeff Johns does on Justice Society of America. You know, on the surface, again, you read me the, the, the description of that book, and I don't care. I really don't. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, but, it's, it, but it reads like a dream, is what you're saying. You, you look at it con- conceptually, and you think, not for me, but once you start reading it, he's got something in his writing that makes you go, wow, that's great. Yeah. yeah. That works. Um, and and, and uh, you're an artist. I don't, I don't mean to belie the art. I think on Invincible and Fury Agent specifically, uh, that's the art on both of those books really excites me. Um, mm-hmm. On the Superman books, it's less of an impact. I, I mm-hmm. guess the, the mm-hmm. art is the art is good. The art is passable. The, I don't have any problems with the art, but that's not what excites me about those. Sure. I think in those stories, the storytelling is really important. A lot of the, but when they both work in con in concert, that you know takes it up to another level. Oh sure, sure. Now let let me ask you. You've mentioned two books that uh, Jeff Johns is working on, right? You said action. Is that what you said? Yeah, action comics. Action and and he was all he's also doing uh, which other ones right he's now? He's doing Green Lantern, Lantern, Justice Society, and probably I think something else. I'm not reading. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the idea that you know there's one guy monopolizing and that sounds really really bad, but I don't mean it that way. But one guy working on three books, four books sometimes. You feel? I mean, um, what did I just pick up recently? That's getting a lot of uh, the Secret Invasion stuff, mm-hmm. right? Uh, who's writing that? Is it uh, Bendis? Is it is it Bendis? Yeah. Bendis has his fingers on in every Marvel pie that they ever bake every month, right? It seems like to me. Oh, or is yeah. that just, am I, am I off on that? I think that, the, I think that the Marvel ship follows him. Okay, I okay. Now, how do, you, how do you feel about that? I mean, does the guy have enough of a voice? Does the guy have enough of a, I'm just not talking about Bendis in specific. Sure. I'm talking about writers who have six or seven books under their wing every month. Do you think they have that much of a diverse voice that they can tell this story and that story and not have it feel like they're just kind of regurgitating from one book to the next? Some do. I mean, okay. and I don't think I think it's something you can't keep up indefinitely. Um, yeah. What's interesting is that all of those books by Jeff Johns are of a tone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, but but they're not necessarily. I don't feel like they're bleeding into one another, or taking away from one another. They, they feel like sure. separate separate things. I think that there are times that at the Marvel, like you look at Bendis, and I think that there's times where he's been experimental and it hasn't worked. Mm-hmm, like where mm-hmm. he's got things that he does that work really well, and he does other things, but they work for some people, not necessarily for me. Um, mm-hmm. Give me an example. What What are you talking about specifically? There's something that you can point to and say this book worked in the style that he was trying to go for, well, and yet when he got experimental with this book, it didn't very really work. Recently, well. he did. Um, he was, you know, this all led up to Secret Invasion, but he was doing New Avengers and he was doing Mighty Avengers. Okay. Um, which you would think, why would the man write two Avengers books? And they were they were mm-hmm. actually wildly different. I liked the new Avengers. I didn't really like Mighty Avengers. 
Really? I don't know why. But he, okay. was, he was taking them both in different tones. I mean, you know, talking about Rick Remender, there's another guy who does. Like, literally, you couldn't tell the same guy was doing his different books. Absolutely. I can tell you the same guy was doing End League, who was doing Fear Agent, who was doing Triple uh, X Zombies, who was doing Booster Gold, for God's sakes. Sure, but does that have something to do with the fact that the subject matter that he's doing, it's so diverse, not necessarily capes and tights, you know what I mean? That's the part that I kind of think that line gets so blurred as far as the kind of story that you're trying to tell, because how big of a jump is it uh, um, story-wise, story story idea-wise, if you're trying to tell uh, you know, the, the different adjective of Avengers, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, what's, uh, It's not too far of a leap to say you know, Spider Woman is that much closer. It's closer to, oh God, Captain America, who's in two different teams or whatever it is, than to say, you know, the the fear agent character is so, and the stories that you can tell with him are just so different from the stories that you could you could tell with sure. with the End League or with you know whatever book that Rick is working on. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it only works if you take the if you if you look under that mask, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, if you are telling a story about Clark Kent, who's a very different person than Hal Jordan, mm-hmm. and the way that the, you know, like one is cops in space, big epic. One is man uh, from another world trying to live among different people and cope with the fact that he's got all these powers. You know? Oh, sure, sure, sure. It, it, it's the approach, you know. It's yeah. if, if you think you break them down as characters, they're different characters. They have different stories to be told, and you know, it's, what's interesting is the guys who can do different different tones. You know, different kinds of stories, you know, like... Oh, sure, sure. Like some guys, you know, Ed Brubaker is a guy who's, who's writing I love, but it's all... He, he writes in a certain way for the most part. Okay. You know, his, his, his Captain America feels procedural in the same way that Criminal does. They're all mm-hmm. great and they're different. But, like, you know, but they feel like Ed Brubaker books, you know. Uh, which isn't bad. It's just, it's yeah. just you know, you kind of tell. Rick, I'm trying to think of another guy, but he's my best example right now. Rick Remender is totally a guy, like... His books all feel different, which is really interesting. Bendis can do that too, to an extent, except mm-hmm. his um, his dialogue is all sort of very similar. Right, right. I think that's maybe what I'm getting caught up, and, I, and I'm not trying to pick on Bendis or anything because I don't know enough of the man's work. But just based on, I remember picking up Powers a long, long, long time ago, and how balloon heavy it was, and that's become like an inside joke now, right? Mm-hmm. Well, um, sort of. Yeah, that's become a thing now, and and I've seen that in a couple of his books. Where I go, wow, this is just so extremely dialogue heavy that I, sometimes it doesn't make sense to me, so, or sometimes it starts to become um, like if you didn't have one artist on one set of books that he's doing versus another artist in a set of books, it almost reads as the same book to me. Mm-hmm. This is. I, I hope there's a little bit of truth to that that you can agree uh, agree with because sometimes. that's how it feel. That's how it feels like to me, and I. And again, this is just based on the uh, based on the opinions of a guy who doesn't go and buy books every week. And that's the reason why I'm kind of picking your brain about it because I, I want to be able to talk to a guy who does have the info on it. You know? I think the way that it works is if you like that style, you're okay with it. Yeah, I mean the yeah. fact is, like the reason that Bendis writes things like that is because he was raised on David Mamet and and you know the the homicide TV show and that quick pitter pat dialogue and things like that. He puts that into everything he does. Mm-hmm. I personally, I really like that. I'm a fan mm-hmm. of that, you know. Mm-hmm. So it works for me. That's a familiar feeling. It's like taking a guy who's a, a guitar player, but he's a really, really good guitar player. You know, every time Slash plays a guitar solo, it sounds like Slash. Sure. But it's right. so good. He's so good at that one thing that he does that it's kind of okay. Like, you could yeah. do it for a really long time. I guess. Yeah, but do you do you put him on six different albums because he's they've, so good? They've tried. <laughs> 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 All right. I, know, there's All a lot, right. I mean, the fact is, I think there's a lot of guys who can't do it, but but there are certain ones who can. Sure. Um, I think that you know DC's problem right now is that um, I don't think there are enough guys doing good work. I think Jeff Johns is sort of carrying the load for that whole hmm. thing. There's not a lot of other books there that are terribly exciting. Uh, what are they Morrison. doing with this? What are they going doing with that? Oh, yes, I'm glad that you brought up his his Grant Morrison's name because I just read all of that uh, All Star Superman, his entire All Star Superman run, and that just blew me away. There is a book, there is a book that I wish I had done, but I don't know if I could have done that as well as Frank Wiley did. That thing looks so great. I think that looks and reads so well, concept wise. Everything that Grant wrote, I was like. Damn, that is a great idea. That is a great, great idea. But that has a different um, 
purpose, I suppose, than than a lot of sort of the regular monthly books, because that is a book that exists on its own. Like he just mm-hmm. was allowed to go write his own story. Uh, so, I mean, okay. I guess the, the good thing now is that you have the the freedom creators do. You know, you can do a story that exists on its own. Like I just want to go do this story, and it doesn't have to exist everything else. Where somebody else who's really good, I can go in and play amongst the world and try to keep up with it and keep those balls juggled. I guess, but no, mm. you're absolutely right. Super, I need to get the. I don't have the second set of the half of it because I bought the first uh, collection. Yeah, yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I wish I had drawn it. I really, really wish I had drawn it. <laughs> There's very few books that are out where I go, wow, that's that's something I wish I was on the ground up on, and that was one where after I put it down, I'm like, fuck, this book exists, and I didn't get a chance to draw on it at all. That's my ego talking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, damn it, I wish I was part of that. Cause that was such a great book, or it did something for me enough that I really, really wanted to become a part of it. You know? Mm-hmm. Do you? Get, I guess you. I guess that doesn't happen that that often. No, no, it's it, few and far between. I, I, but that's only because I don't make an active effort to buy enough books. I bought that book based on I, I wrote something on my blog, but I wanted to read up on new stuff that's out, and a lot of people chimed in, left comments, and said, "Yeah, try this, try this," and I, and I tried everything. I tried a lot of the, the suggestions they have, and but my one. A deciding factor was that I needed to have it in a good chunk, which was, uh, you know, in trade paperback form. If I was lucky enough, the local comic book store that I go to here collected it all in one giant plastic bag, you know. Mm-hmm. But that was the that was the only mandate that I put to myself. I don't want to buy single issues because it it just feels like an incomplete meal to me these days. You know, like how great is something just based on got the one issue because I don't think that's just enough room for a comic book to breathe, really. You know, unless it's set up to be just the one issue. So. I told myself, buy the trade paperback, see if it feels right, and based on that, just fall in love with comics all over again. Because I think I need to start doing that again. I need to start falling in love with comics again, um, based on the stuff that's out there. You know, based on all that, there's there's so much. I, I just I feel like there's more diversity and more good stuff out there than everywhere. It's harder to find it because there's so much of it, and so mm-hmm. much focuses on you know. You know, it's it's kind of it's it's. I feel vaguely lame sometimes for saying, "Well, go check out you know action comics." Everybody's checking out action comics. It's not like it's a big secret, but the fact that it's good is actually it's notable. So, but at mm-hmm. the same time, you know, I get so excited about Fear Agent and Proof and and you know whatever Vertigo book is coming out. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna get that Fear Agent. I've heard of that Remender guy. Here, yeah. he's pretty. Have good. you not read Fear Agent? Don't tell I have me. not. Oh, Fear I have Agent. not. That's just fun in a bottle. That's just good yeah. stuff. Yeah, every, everyone talks it up and all. Frick, come on, get serious, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Again, my my recent. If you look at my at the shelf that I have here in my in my studio, as far as the stuff that uh, trade paperback wise, it's so dated. It's the stuff that I fell in love with back in the day that I still think I believe in my heart of hearts that would still be relevant story wise now. And um, yeah, I just need to update. I need to have new stuff coming in here because just uh, at some point it'll just start becoming incestual. You know, <laughs> I'll just start. I'll just start looking at the same stuff over and over again and be impressed by that when there could be just as something good around the corner that I have not been exposed to. You're talking fear. Uh, you're talking fear agent up a lot, so I'm gonna go pick that up as soon as I can. Yeah. Well, I I also know this video show that they do about comic books. Oh, There's seriously? Almost a hundred episodes of it uh, called I Fanboy, and <laughs> every week they usually talk about some books. Oh, there you go. So now, I will I will make a point to check in every week, friend. <laughs> There's also a back catalog of about two years. I'm gonna so. check it out. I'm gonna check it out. Actually, I, I already have actually. Let me. Let, already... me let me. What? What? Is, what is? Let's see, you really like? You really liked uh, All Star Superman? Have you ever read uh, Grant Morrison's Animal Man? No, no. I've read what I read of Grant Morrison's is. And correct me if I'm wrong. Did he do uh, The Invisibles? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I read The Invisibles way back in the day. I read The Invisibles. If you were to ask me specific storyline points, that would it, that would be just tragic because I couldn't bring it up to you. But I just remember Invisibles going way over my head. Same thing. I stopped reading it. The thing about Grant okay. Morrison is he's a guy who swings for the fences. Okay. A lot of the times okay. that he connects, uh, and and all of it, he does something transcendent. All Star Superman mm-hmm. is one of those examples. A lot of the times he does something that's completely wacky that some people really like and a lot of people have a hard time getting into. That's what he's doing on Batman right now, which is kind of weird. But but mm-hmm. good. You can mm-hmm. see that it's good or whatever. Who's he doing Batman with? Uh, Who's drawing It was... It started... It would, J.H. Williams III did it for a little while. He did parts of it. Um, and now the end of it is being drawn by Tony Daniel, I think. Okay, okay. Um, and that's okay. I don't necessarily recommend it because it's kind of heavy. But it, it's also not over yet, so you can't tell how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. Animal mm-hmm. Man... Um, 
which looks like a book from the late 80s is because it is but he's kill killing i mean just like it's there's three trades it's amazing if you liked all stars really check that out also okay. uh there's a little three issue series that he did uh, with frank whiteley called we three. Oh yeah i picked that up that's oh, great that, that is so insanely good it, it's insanely good the stuff that quietly did with panels and the fast moving animals and the stuff yeah, that is just so well done, shot for shot. And not only that, it's just not fancy panel layout, but it's just so, it just feels so intuitive. It feels like you're reading it as it's coming out of Grant's mouth, you know what I mean? Like, you're, that's how I would picture it. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, yeah. you know, it makes you feel. At the end, you're sad. You're, you know, yeah, like, absolutely. those animals into people. So that, that's yeah, a great sort of collaborative work. So uh, try Animal Man. I'll leave you with that one. Okay, all right. <laughs> that goes back. That's, that's prime Grant Morrison. Okay, and that stuff's still being released today, I'm going to guess, right? I, I mean, it's out right on the shelf somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I bought them within the last couple of years, so I think they're all okay. still out. Okay, Good I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, let, me, uh, let, me, let me say goodbye and say thanks, and uh, hopefully we'll see you around. Yeah, I appreciate it, Josh. Thank you for having me. Wow, that's the first time that I have ever been interviewed, halfway through an interview. Anyway, I want to thank Eric for his time. That was a ton of fun. And you can get over to ifanboy.com to comment on this show or listen to one of the Pick of the Week podcasts or watch one of the video shows or read any of the great content we've got there or just to pull your comics. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you later. Later.